Welcome back to another episode of Icy Takes. It's your boy Big Dave on this end. Jeff is on the other end, ready to go. Late night podcasting tonight. Jeff, it's a beautiful Monday morning. We've been kind of in and out on these like rainy days and sunny days, but we were able to take advantage, at least in my neck of the woods, some good weather. How are you doing? Uh, not too bad. We had some good weather out my uh, my way in the neck of the woods on the uh, Greensburg side. And... Um, yeah, it kind of looked like it kind of rained it, uh, throughout the night a little bit, but uh, throughout most of the afternoon, we had some pretty good weather out this way. Oh yeah, for no doubt. I mean, it was it was kind of back and forth. I knew I knew Friday kind of sucked, and and yesterday sucked too. But Saturday was gorgeous. Um, I don't know if you know um, what I did this past Saturday. I did what was called a wing tour in in oh. Somerset, and uh, let me tell you, Jeff. If you're available next year, I, I recommend you you drive down here. Um, so, what it hap- what happens is that you you pay twenty five dollars for for a ticket to start at one of the five bars that are participating in this wing tour, and you go to the first bar and you get your you, your three complimentary you know complimentary finger quotes uh, wings. And you pay for anything else that you that you want, but uh, in some places you got to pick your own sauce. Some of them they gave you like their three best, um, and you basically, um, whenever you were done at the first place, you got on the school bus like you're about to go to the school, but you're being dropped off at another bar. So it was basically like a adult school where all you're doing is just eating wings and drinking beer and hanging out with friends. That sounds awesome, and 100%, I think I should put myself in the pen for next year. Exactly, and then, who knows, maybe we can pseudo-cover it. Yeah, maybe Yeah, maybe we can, you know, make some content out of it, you know, maybe we'll get some shirts or something put out for it, maybe make some cash off this thing. Exactly, so, um, yeah. It was look a, at, hey, by the way, look at us being businessmen here. Yeah, right, who exactly. Thought, who would have thought, you know, three and a half months in, we'd actually turn this into a business? Yeah, I, I don't have a suit and tie on, do you? No, no, never. Well, that's not the kind of business we are. We're more of like a mom and pop kind of kind of. Right, exactly. We're, we're the cool business. We don't need we don't need corporate suits and everything. We're all about uh, what you know, not not what you look like. <laughs> hey, remember to uh, follow us on uh, Twitter uh, at ic takes i c e y takes and follow our personals at big underscore dave fifty two and at jchrist underscore 51 also like us on facebook uh icy icy takes with jeff and big dave where we take all of the uh the hot topics of baseball and hockey and cool cool them off with our insights so without further ado uh jeff uh what do we have on the dock what are we leading off with in today's episode uh let's see which i'm uh, you know what we're gonna turn this into like one of those uh those books you read as a kid where you read the page and then at the bottom it gave you two <laughs> options. So I'm okay. going to ask you, which way do you want to go? Do you want to go to the baseball side of things or do you want to go to the hockey side of things? Well, I, I want to say that uh, the hockey is – they're getting a fair treatment of being let off all the time. But I think this time let's switch it up and uh, let's do baseball. Okay. Well, famous last words for, for good old Big Dave on the other side there because last week we started our show – um, our show's baseball talk with how great the Pittsburgh Pirates were doing. They were doing great. They were first in the division. They were a game and a half up on everybody. Everything was all great on the North Shore over on uh, in, in PNC Park world. 
Well, Boyd, have the tables have turned. Dave, do you have anything to say for yourself after your your battling buckos or blundering buckos, as we should call them, lost eight in a row, an MLB worst going on in the la- in their last ten games. An MLB current worst, I believe. If not, that is probably it is. The it worst. is. I did look that up. That they, they have lost eight in a row. I think the. Um, there's a bunch of teams that have lost three in a row, but eight in a row, what is going on, Dave? Well, it was the problem that I always said at the beginning of the year and probably going into the year. There's no established bullpen. There is no consistency um, with the uh, lineup where some games you're you're getting a solid um, uh, five, at least five runs a game, like three to five in that range. Um where you're not kind of scraping the barrel and getting two runs, one run, or zero runs in almost consecutive games. There is a silver lining with the starting pitching, but during this losing streak, it hasn't been as great. And, you know, during a losing streak, there's going to be a lot of flaws that are pointing out. And right now, Chris Archer is on the DL, or IL now. It's still so hard to get used to that uh, change of terminology. It's the injured list. Uh, he's on, he's on there with thumb inflammation. He really hasn't been the great pitcher that everybody uh, thought he was going to be, which we can get to later. Um, Trevor Williams and Jamison Tyon are the others on, on top of the list in that rotation that, uh, with Trevor Williams, I think being the best pitcher for the pirates so far this year, Jamison Tyon hasn't been getting run support, but in these last couple starts, it hasn't really mattered. And, I'd say the only thing that has been good about this team is Felipe Vasquez, but he hasn't even had a chance to save any games. So there's really no point of even mentioning how good he's been because he's only going in there just to stay warm and getting some pitches in. So this is what I had expected going into this season. Maybe not eight games in a row. Um, There are some games against the Diamondbacks that they definitely should have won. There's one game against the Dodgers that they really shouldn't have blown away, that being Sunday's game. Um, Everything's just being exposed for what is probably going to happen for the rest of the year. I just think it's happening at such a mammoth rate that it won't be this bad all year long. It'll happen again, I believe, but it's just uh, a little little glimpse as to what the the summer in Pittsburgh is going to be like. So the one thing also that that I did notice with this team is that you have one one of the one of the bats that you re-signed in the offseason who has had his issues off the field and he was also your comeback player of the year um, from an earlier episode. Check the archives at IC Takes on Facebook and Twitter. Um, Jung Ho Gong and when he, when he's batting under the Mendoza line because all you heard in spring training was how great his bat was and how great of a spring he had, and it has not transferred over into the regular season. And when you don't have that consistent bat, at least at first base or third base, you're in a lot of trouble because that has to be one of your power positions. And I believe, if I saw correctly, he's batting like 162 on the year, which is just completely unacceptable to be batting under 200 when you're relied on that much. And as little offense as this lineup is going to give, to not have that consistency, at least in uh, at first or third base, that smells even more of a recipe of disaster for this team. No, I mean, uh, so Zhang Ho Gong being out for as long as he has been, I thought it was 
pretty crazy to see what kind of numbers he was putting up in spring training. But at the same time, you're not facing that same competition over and over again in the regular season when you're playing against a kid who might be pitching double A this year in in spring training. So um, once again, you have to kind of take that with a grain of salt. I just thought Zhang Hao Gung was set up in the best position to really do some damage after being gone for so long in baseball to um, get off to like an early start because there wasn't really a solidified sec- every every day second baseman, and there still isn't. Um, and you have Colin Moran, who arguably is is great is better on the field than Gung, but it, it can be in and out with the bat. And at, at this point, you always want Moran out there because of the lack of average that Gung has. I mean, his power is there. So whenever he does get that hit, more than likely it's leaving the park. So, 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 so are you willing to say with how you just described Jung Ho Gung right now, and I'm talking absolutely right now, is he not Pedro Alvarez? Without, with less airs. Well, yeah, well, I'm not taking the fielder. I'm talking about strictly bat because that was, that was arguably the biggest issue with Pedro was that the batting average was there. He had his home runs. But you were also seeing 100 plus strikeouts a year. Yeah, I mean, uh, if I can pull up the average, um, Gung is currently sitting at a at a one at a cool 160. Well um, below the Mendoza line. Oh yeah, well below that 200 with his four home runs and out of his how many plate appearances? Or he has 75 at bats. Uh, do you want to take a guess on how many strikeouts he has? Out of 75 at-bats? Out of 75 at-bats, I would say he's got, I'd say between 35 and 40. All right, a little too much. He's at 28, but still. Oh, I'm in the ballpark, though. Oh, boy, was I You're in the ballpark, but just a little too high. Upper deck, yeah, I'm in the upper deck. I pay for the cheap tickets. He's over 33%, which, and depending on how many walks he has, um, Right now, he's sitting at six. Um, right now, I'm not seeing plate appearances. Right now, I'm on the Pirates website looking at these numbers. Um, with And it's not even Gung, but it's, it's other players that are mainly power hitters. A lot of these guys who put the ball out of the park deep and don't really hit for average, over 50%, or not over, near around 40 to 45% of their plate appearances are either going to be three results they're going to either be strikeouts, which is over half of those three results. It's going to be a walk or it's going to be a home run. So Gung, as terrible as it is for his average to be as low as it is right now, he's at least doing one thing that the rest of the team cannot do, and that's hit a home run. Is that is that, though, not where baseball is at right now? It's either a home run or it's a, or it's a strikeout. Or a walk, yes. Or a walk. It's it just seems like baseball is going in that direction right now, and um, it, it's kind of a shame because I I think the triple is one of the most exciting plays in all of sports. Oh yeah, no, I mean, and it seems I'll, like that play, that play disappears more than anything because nobody wants to take that risk of getting getting it out at uh, third base. No, I mean it, it's it's weird how the game has changed, and and it's the way stadiums have changed too. Whenever you had 
270-foot corners and a 500-foot center, it was easier to hit a triple in those days than it is now. So Polo uh, gr- grounds you just described there. Yeah, exactly. So getting the, a different design of the stadium really has some say in how you attack the bases wherever you put the wherever you put the ball in. So I do love the triple, like you were saying, but the, the games change because of the way the stadiums change. And isn't, and I think that is really the, the beauty of what baseball is. There's no, um, there's no cut. There's no cookie cutter way of designing a park. Um, you need to make sure that there's just four bases that meet the length and you can do whatever you want there in the outfield after that. To piggyback off you though, with that, with ballparks too. I mean, you don't see like the crazy like designs of the outfield walls anymore. It seems like everywhere that a new ballpark comes up, they don't have like those nooks and crannies in the outfield walls. Like look at SunTrust Park. SunTrust Park is a complete like half oval for a wall. And you Turner might have, Field like, was the same thing. Yeah, Turner Field was the same way. But I mean, like, like that's what I love about PNC Park. You put that ball into le- in the left center field. It goes in that north side. Nosh, you're running for a couple days. Right, and then and and you're just mentioning about like different, uh, like different size walls or like those notches. I mean, you go from what like a three foot wall in left field to a twenty one foot wall in right field. Right, or even look at Fenway too. Fenway, it it, it seems like center, right, center field to right field. It, you just keep running, you just keep running and running until eventually there's just a wall there at four hundred and twenty feet. But to to get back to the original point, um about Zhang Ho Gung, it's almost like, I, I kind of want to compare it, but it's not a good comparison, to Andrew, McCutche- Andrew McCutcheon's starts in April. He, It was a well-known fact that he never did well in April in Pittsburgh, I think in, in, in his entire career. And even if you want to look back at how Gung started um, in his first year with Pittsburgh and part of the second year, you can see that Gung was off to a slow start. So as bleak as it is for the third baseman right now, I don't see any reason why he can't improve upon this. I'm not saying go above 300 average for the entire season and really change it like that, but get above the Mendoza line, maybe flirt with a 250 and maybe cut down on the strikeouts just a little bit. It's still going to be high, like around 30%, but cut down on the strikeouts a little bit. Okay, so moving on past the the wallowing buckos, um, I'm glad we just got the bad stuff out of the way first. Oh, uh, there's still there's still more on my end that, that I'm not ready to go off on yet. But let's talk about something really cool that happened uh, on Friday. The Toronto Blue Jays called up their top prospect, prospect Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Dave, did you catch any of this? See, I didn't catch any of the game, but I saw all the hype going into it and. I think probably the best part of it all was to see the the video that his father n- narrated um, uh, about his son's journey to get to the majors, and I thought that was that was very touching, and I I love the overall hype to that video. Yeah, it seems like the the hype has been around this kid for the last couple of years now, um, and the kid's I- twenty. I know, yeah, that's that's the crazy thing. He got signed at, like, what, 16 years old? Yep. And with this kid, it just seems like, yeah, obviously the name helps, right? You're, you're, you have the same name as your dad who's a Hall of Famer that just got inducted last year. But 
it 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 seems like this kid's gonna be the real deal. Um, his first major league hit, he took the other way down the line, and he had, I believe it was a double if I if yep. I remember correctly. Yep. Um, so it, it it seems like this kid's a total package, and it seems like the one thing that people might be concerned about, but it, it depends who you ask. It's it's his fielding, and some are saying it's very underrated. Some are saying that he has a lot of work to do with it with his uh with his fielding. But I mean, in Toronto though, if you, if you're bringing the bat and you can just make solid contact, ask ask uh, Jose Batista, ask Josh Donaldson. That can be a fun ballpark to play in. Um, if you're ask if you're Edwin bringing the stick in Carnacion and Edwin Encarnacion, there is a lot of players that played in Toronto that um their numbers definitely spiked up because that place is a boom box and they'll overlook those fielding stats if you're bringing the uh bringing the stick to the plate. What do you like more in an overall baseball player? Do you want to see them make as little to no errors on the field as possible or do not um let's just say make bad outs with the bat meaning if there's a runner on third with one out and you're striking out or you're flying out in the infield, what do you like more uh, with a with a player? Which one would you take, the fielding w- or the? I, w- I would take I would take the player that uh, that he might throw throw the occasional error out out in the field, and but I know he's going to come in and make up for that error. He's not going to do it on the field. Because I feel like an error, once an error happens, you can't take that back. But it, if he commits an error, and I know he's going to come in and say, I'm just going to throw a number out there. Say he drives in 110 runs. I know he at some point he's going to make up for that run that he, he may have cost me in the field with, with his bat at the, uh, at the plate. Yeah, I mean, I know that I'm not the best one to answer for this reason. I've always enjoyed fielding more than hitting for some reason whenever I played. And, you know, even in beer league softball, you know, I'm, Jeff, call me crazy, but playing third base in beer league softball was a little enjoyable because it kept me on my toes. Well, you pretty much signed yourself a death, death letter pretty much playing third base. And so it's arguably the worst position to play in in beer sports. I, I mean, you play it, you play it a deep enough, uh, uh, you play deep enough so that maybe like the the back of your heels are touching the left field grass. You're fine there. Trust uh, me. Oof. I don't know, man. I, I'm I'm pretty comfortable in right field. I'll shag fly balls for an hour and a half. To give you a, a horrible radio gag of what happened to me in a tournament in like 2016, before I get back to um, this topic or 2017. There was a there's big man, and I'm talking this big man who's known for just hitting home runs almost every other at bat in this league and I'm playing third base. The tournament started at seven AM. So this is like seven twenty AM when he comes up. I, I I take my steps back, there's a runner on first, and he lines one straight into the ground and it's coming for me. And I saw it go to my face and I just ducked to the left, um, kind of like the opposite direction of Colin McHugh when he avoided that baseball. Mm-hmm. But I put my glove right in front of my face and I almost felt that ball touch my face from the glove. And I'm like, okay, we can turn the double play, toss it over to second. And the person over at second who didn't really play softball that much dropped the baseball. 
And no. I think that's one of the only times I was ever mad at someone else on the field to make an error in a game like that. Because oh. I, I was basically saying in my head, I almost died, and you couldn't even get the out for me. Jeez. Yeah. But, but I mean, I, I've always thought that if you're the better fielder, you should have, at least have the chance to get um, to have the bat in your hand because you're basically going to prevent anything that's hit within your range. Now, I get your point of making up for the air by driving in that, that runner who may be on first, but you hit one in the gap to tie it up for that run that you accidentally let slip, off, slip by on the air. Um, I've always been a fan of fielding myself. So not that I'm not that I'm saying you're wrong. I'm just saying that I've always appreciated uh, a clean game on the field, so that no matter what's hit to you, if, as long as it's in range and it hits your glove or anything like that, you're going to make the right play and you're going to make the perfect and you're going to make the throw to gun the runner out or um, get the lead runner out. How whatever you need to do to make sure that that team doesn't score. Well, that that's like um. Like, is Pedro Alvarez not, like, the absolute cornerstone of this discussion we're having right now? Because people that may have listened to us back in our college days, I was a big backer of Pedro Alvarez. I still am. I His run between 2013 and 2016, he honestly probably still has a job somewhere on a on a baseball team that I'm, that I'm a, a executive for. Because... To have that power of the threat of being a 30 home run guy every every year and the possibility of driving in between 50 and, I don't know, we'll call it 80 runs at a minimum, I, I, I would rather take the offensive guy because somebody's always backing somebody up as far as a defensive, defensive um, output. So it, you can prevent runs. Yeah, he might commit an error, and there might be a guy on second, I trust my pitching staff to to get out of that jam, to back up my third baseman or first baseman wherever he's at. You could even include 2012 in those years that you were talking about. He had 30 home runs that year. Yeah, I mean he didn't have he didn't hit the the error bug until what 2014, right? Because 2013 it wasn't that bad. No, I'm just saying like you're you're talking about the run that he went on, especially. Um, with the bat, I'm just saying right. you can include 2012 with that. Right, and, right. And when, it, when it comes to uh, overall fielding for this guy, um, he's 92% on the field in 2014, 94 in 2013, 92 in 2012. Um, then you look at uh, 2016. He didn't play that many games with Boston or Baltimore. Uh, he had 12 games where six of them he started. And in 53 innings, um, he had four errors for a 55 uh, fielding percentage. And uh, it's just, it overall, it just kind of spelled the end for Pedro Alvarez because he, as, as, as well as not really performing with the bat. Um, that's the that's where the downfall much, was. Much worse. That's, where the, that's where the downfall is. If you're going to commit the, the, that amount of errors in the field, you better, you better be bringing the stick to the plate. And if you're not doing that, then that's that's where people have an issue. And 100 percent is what his downfall was. Um, so like, you want to say take the good with the bad, which is one of my favorite cliches. But you can't take the bad with the bad. You have to you have to do one or the other to justify so, yourself. 
So basically what we're saying is that Vladimir Guerrero Jr. is going to be one of the best players in the world because the fielding is only going to get better from here, and he's going to be slapping the ball wherever he wants to when he has when he's in the box. Absolutely, absolutely. So right, what else? We got got a little bit more for baseball before we wrap up. Um, the Yankees just can't stay healthy. Like this is getting absurd at this point. DJ LeMahieu just got added to their injury list. Uh, he went down, I believe, over the weekend. Um, is there a team that does not have the injury luck right now than the New York Yankees? Um, one team that actually rivals them. I wouldn't say they have more are the Pittsburgh Pirates. Um, I know the Yankees really have more of like the 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 higher edge stars that are going down where you had uh, Judge on the I.L., Gary Sanchez, Giancarlo Stanton, I think Luke Voigt at the beginning of the season, but now he's back. Um, but Severino is still hurt. Gregorius yep. isn't back yet. Greg Bird is hurt. Andujar is hurt. I mean, the list goes on and on. Yeah, I mean, um, I was trying to find if I could see uh, a, like a compiled list of like the team's current uh, injured list and how many that they have on that list. I'm probably going to have to pull it up team by team, which sounds way too long. So, uh, but yeah, no, the, the crazy thing about what the Yankees are going through with their injuries is with the slow start that they got, which, you know, everyone was going down with injuries is fine. But now they're starting to hit that at that point where they're dominating teams on either one end with the bats or on the other end uh, with the pitching. And I think they are seven and three in their last 10 and just hitting a roll. And they have over 10 people on the injured list, which makes me think if half of those guys are back, how much better these Bronx Bombers get um, So the, so guys coming off injury. Not to cut you off, but they're nine and one in their last ten. They're a okay. game and a half out of first place behind Tampa Bay. Um, the only thing that concerns me with all the, all this, and I was actually talking to one of my buddies over the weekend. He's a big Yankee fan. Um, he was saying that like, yeah, these injuries are going on, and yeah, we're successful right now with um, with all these guys being plugged in and everything. The only concern from a fan standpoint is is now these guys are making arguments to stay in the lineup. And that's kind of like the concerning thing where you're going to get more days of the quote-unquote Sunday lineup because these guys you know, were able to keep this team in the hunt for so long. Why can't they do it on the occasional off day for all these other guys? I think that's really uh, first-world problems there. I Not that I can... Is it, is it though? Because like the one thing I, I, I like about... Um, not to revert this over to the, the Atlanta Braves, but the one thing I like about Brian Snicker is that it is not a mystery who we're putting out as our as our starting starting nine. It is not a mystery at all. You're gonna have Freddie Freeman playing first base. You're you're gonna have Ronald Acuna playing in left field. You're gonna have Ozzy Albies playing second base, and then after that, you know, we it's pretty much you know who's gonna get that day off for Johan Camargo to come in. But it's pretty standard of a lineup that they put out. These the Sunday roster does not exist in the Atlanta Braves vocabulary. It seems like, <laughs> which uh, and again, I don't mean to bring this into an Atlanta Braves standpoint, but I know the like for the years of 2013 through 2016, Clint Hurdle loves that Sunday lineup, 
Oh, and, yeah. Oh, and yeah. I just never understood it. You're just throwing games away when all you're talking about is, oh, we got to take two out of three. You take two out of three out of every series, you're going to be in the hunt late in September and going into October. And I just don't get doing the Sunday lineups and everything like that. Well, I know the managers, uh, along with Clint Hurdle, go into these extensive uh, analytical reports about how these certain players need to get certain amount of rest and all this other uh, BS when it comes to the analytics of the sport. But I wouldn't say that that they were... Wasn't that the Golden State model, by the way? Uh... Perhaps. (laughs) Perhaps <laughs> that they they like limited Steph, Steph Curry's like steps. They like they did a report on how many steps he took during during a season, and they're like, well, if we cut this down, he'll be more productive in May, uh, uh, April, May, and June. Yeah, I mean, I know that the the, the Pirates were trying to do that too with Andrew McCutcheon, right? But I think I guess they did get that from the Golden State Warriors and Steph Curry, but no, I mean, sometimes it, it gets down to just a point where maybe it's just too much and they just need to go out there and play. Like, I mean, you tell me, what would you rather have where you have like a, you know, like a B team sort of come out there every like seven games or 10 games, or are you just looking to put them out there every day and just let the grind take over and let them just get to the playoffs with that same roster all the time? Here's my thing with it. I think that, I mean, to a point, you got to give guys days off. A hundred percent, I I get it, but it seems like some of these managers, it is penned in every Sunday. We're gonna put a B team roster out there and maybe have one or two guys that that are on your everyday roster that are gonna play, and you know, hope we win. And I just don't agree with that. I I get that it might be a meaningless game in May or a meaningless game in June, but. I feel once you get into clinching spots, that's when you can, that's when you can kind of take it easy and say, you know, guys, we have we have everything wrapped up. We know our fate. We're going to be going into the playoffs, but you guys can take a day off here, or you know, you can take a day off here in September, and we'll take a look at some of our guys from September call-ups. Now, do you think a team like the New York New York Yankees, or we could even include the blundering Buccos? Uh, having that B that B team that B squad, do you think with the amount of injuries that they have would actually improve their chances on staying healthier for the rest of the year? I think I this is what I told my my buddy. I go, it, it's probably a good thing though that you're that this is happening in April and it's not happening at the end of July, where yep. you're gonna you're getting to the deadline and you're you're not sure what direction you want to go here. Is everybody gonna be? healthy enough going to make a playoff run or, you know, do we, do we just stand pat, wait for everybody to get healthy after the deadline and try and go with the run with what we have. So um, I think for the pirates, it hurts more because of a situation that they're in right now where they, they've lost eight in a row. They're um, second, second to the bottom in the division. And, you know, if you get healthy, can you dig yourself out of the hole that you just dug for yourself? Yeah, I mean, it, injuries suck no matter what way you look at it, but if there is a time to get injured, get it over with in April and do not save it until August or September. Exactly. So moving on, we got two more two more things. One more bad thing that I really don't want to talk about, but I have to get this off my chest after right. Saturday night. And then one more hypothetical that, we're, that we can discuss, and then we'll go on to hockey. 
talk. So Saturday night, the uh, the Atlanta Braves are playing the Colorado Rockies, and yet again, AJ Mintner blows a ninth inning lead, blows a ninth inning save opportunity, and the Braves lose nine five. I turned it off. I am sick of this. What is Braves management waiting for? What in God's name? Does this bullpen have to show you even more that we need Craig Kimbrell, number 46, in that bullpen? Because at this point, I don't trust this bullpen. And I I don't think the management is, whether it's uh, the pitching staff or or, um, Brian Snitker, I don't think they're confident that they want their pitcher, their starting pitchers, these young arms we keep hearing about, going extending into seven and eight inning outings each and every night. Because at that at this point, this is that's what they're going to have to do to win ball games. Because the bullpen's just not pulling their weight. Well, it's kind of like the opposite of what the Pirates have, where Felipe Vasquez is the reason why the bullpen has some success, but it's still arguably the worst part of that team. But, I mean, going into the season, did you trust Vizcayano? that much before he got injured the injury was was what i didn't trust he, he's got stuff i i'll i'll give him credit for that it's whether he can stay healthy that that's the uh that's the big concern and here we are he's on the 60-day dl with a shoulder issue well i mean and you were even mentioning it before with the milwaukee brewers who probably won't be in the consideration for craig kimbrell because of the amount of money that he wants do you think the Braves are even in that consideration? I mean, they're they're not one of the, the they're not one of the mid market teams. They're a team that can go out there and flaunt the money when they need to. I I just don't see where you're in a window. You've saved the amount of money that you've saved with the Acuna and all these signings. What else are are we going to trot out here as a reason why we're not going to sign this guy because he wants too much too much term? I mean, it, it it's not like he's he's going to be throwing you know, eight, eight innings every time he's on, on the mound, you know, he's going to, yeah, he's in high leverage situations, but I, I just don't get it I, at this point. You know, I've thought, you know, maybe the money's a little bit too much, or maybe he wants too many years at this point. Like we have a window that we're trying to, that we're trying to capitalize on before the cheap contracts of Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies expire. And when they want to get paid their big, big money, why not why not capitalize now when you can build around these cheap contracts that you got off these two kids? Maybe it is the player after all in these negotiations. Maybe it's just that uh, non-negotiable uh, with how they're operating uh, what they want, and that's what's detracting teams from wanting to go after and sign them. I, I don't get it. Maybe we need to send like Brian McCann in, in these in these talks and just be like, yo, Craig. We we work together. We've worked before. Let's let's bring the crew back together. Let's bring the battery back because they need it. At the end of the day, they need it. And I I it's it's a nail biter. My my fingernails are almost down to my knuckles at this point with all the ninth nine ninth innings that we've we've had to endure in, down in Atlanta. Welcome to my world with uh, uh, chewing your fingernails because your sports team can't hold it together. Well, your sports team is never really in the hunt after the sixth inning anyway, so I don't know why you're biting your fingernails. See, before this eight-game losing streak, almost all of their games were within two runs or less, which is just one. 
And then they've lost eight in a row, and it's not interesting anymore. Yeah, well, you said that they're never entered in the sixth inning. Meanwhile, Keona Keller blew four saves in this month alone. Yikes. Which means they've had that many leads in the ninth inning. And then he blew them, and then they, then they lost eight in a row. Uh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, moving on. Enough talk about the Atlanta Braves before I get heated. Uh, I got a hypothetical for you. Oh, right. So, we have talked about on this show quite frequently about the Boston Red Sox and the slow start that they have. They are currently sitting at 12 and 17, seven and a half games out of first pl- out of first place. A run differential of a minus 31. Dave, I ask you this question. Can the Boston Red Sox see themselves out of this hole and be in contention for the division? No, because the Rays and Yankees will be too good the entire year. I think the the Yankees obviously will, will make a comeback, and I think eventually they will jump the Tampa Bay Rays. But I also think the Rays are here to stay. And the way they've manipulated trades with other with other teams, including uh, your boy over here, um, my, my Pirates, getting Austin Meadows and Tyler Glass now the way they did. And even in that trade, I was okay with getting rid of Glass now because sometimes pitchers just need that change of scenery, and he didn't have any of that confidence or swagger in Pittsburgh. So I was okay with getting rid of him. Austin Meadows was the one I was a little uh, mad about because he was a legitimate player that I was excited for to come up through the system. And this is the one player that you did not get to see perform um, long-term in Pittsburgh. He made a great debut in June and was hitting at a phenomenal rate at one point, but they still thought that was um, necessary, including Shane Bass, but he's still like low A or high A right now. Um, But, the Meadows and Glasnow are tearing it up right now. Glasnow's 5-0 and and has a sub-2 ERA. And I forget what Meadows averages offhand. But I think those two teams are going to be too much for the Boston Red Sox to leap over um, over the next 120 games. Um, right now, Chris Sale is still struggling to get his swagger back. His velocity is all over the place. Um, MLB Network always likes to call it Velo. Uh, for velocity, it's saying Chris Sales lost his velo. It's not there anymore. Um, and I think the bullpen is also another reason why they are struggling. That that That's the team that lost Craig Kimbrell from last year to free agency. And they are suffering for it as well. The bats got off to a super, super slow start. And with a poor base running in the, in the series against Oakland and... Uh, other other series, um, they're just being really inconsistent right now. So to answer my own question, I'm going to say they'll they'll be a wild card team. Oh. I'll, I'll, I'll drop I'll drop my division prediction because I think I had them um, winning the division. Uh, I'm sticking true to all my predictions, no matter. No, what I'm dropping I'm dropping on this one. They're going to be a wild card team, but I will say they're going to make a run in the playoffs. And the reason why is because if we have followed a script as sports fans in the since 2001, never count the Boston team out, no matter what sport it is. It doesn't matter if it's football. It doesn't matter if it's basketball. It doesn't matter if it's hockey. And it doesn't matter if it's baseball. The Boston sports team loves playing the underdog. 
victim, what, whatever puts them down, they always rally back and they always come back with a vengeance. And you know what? This team, they're seven and a half out. They get out of April, they turn the calendar, and then they get going. And I don't, I don't know if they'll, they'll chase down the Yankees or Tampa Bay, but they'll be a wild card team, and somehow we'll be watching them play in, playing in October. Did you know that the, there have been seven reigning World Series champions, and I'm including this team as well, the Boston Red Sox, that started out the next year 3-8? and eight. And of the prior six before the Red Sox, can you tell me how many teams made the playoffs? So there are six other teams. Six uh, other reigning World Series champions that started off three and eight the following year. I'm going to say two of them. Wrong. It's zero. And this trend will continue. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well played. That is a well played uh, point you just made there. Thank you. But I'm going to stick with mine because it's going to be right. That's fine. Let us know in uh, Facebook or Twitter. Just. Tag us on on Twitter and just yell at us why one of us is wrong. Hopefully it's Jeff. And it's probably going to be Dave. So, anyways, uh, so are we ready to talk a little bit of hockey here? Of course. Okay, so the last time we were, we were on the air, the Carolina Hurricanes and Washington Capitals were playing game six. And the Capitals, I believe when we went off the air, they were up two to one, if I, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, the Hurricanes came back. They won game six on home ice, and then they won game seven in Washington. Shocker, the uh, Capitals lost in game seven on home ice. And um, (laughs) so they moved on to play the Islanders, which was awesome. I don't know if you caught the end of that game or not. I know you said you're going to watch baseball, but uh, those last two games between Carolina and the Capitals, the Capitals ran out of gas at the end of the day. That's all it was. They ran out of gas. I listened to the radio broadcast. I was on the road um, to the Hurricanes and Capitals in double overtime. And all you could hear was the Hurricanes players just putting off shot after shot, shot after shot on Holpe. Yeah, it, 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 the Capitals had no punch back at all for the, uh, for the Carolina Hurricanes. And um, the one question I do have to ask and maybe this is me being a Petty Pence fan. Um, who's talking about how much fun Alexander Ovechkin had last summer? Who's talking about, like, yeah, he's partying, he's getting drunk and hanging out with all of his buds and everything. No one's talking about that now because maybe he should have did a little bit of conditioning. Maybe he should have gotten himself back in shape a little bit more. Just he, a had a, he had his ride, and he realized that's how much he – maybe that was a punishing factor. I mean – I'm not going to go that far to say because the guy went around. Well, no, no, no. Here, here's, my thi- here's, my, here's my thing with this. And I don't mean to cut you off because I, I've been told I do this a lot to you. But You do mean to cut me off sometimes. I, I do. But this, this one, I'm just trying to emphasize my point. All we heard throughout June, July, August, September, and hell, we even heard it all the way into February about how much fun Alexander Ovechkin had. He partied through D.C. He was swimming in fountains. He was doing keg stands with a cup, which apparently you can't do anymore because of Alexander Ovechkin, how he partied it up so much. Okay, that's all fun and great. You won your cup, congratulations. But there's still something that Sidney Crosby has that you don't, and that's a back-to-back Stanley Cup because 
yeah, Sid liked that he won in 2016, but you know what? Three weeks later after he won that cup, he was training. He was getting ready for the World Cup, and he was getting ready to, to be the, the reigning and defending Stanley Cup champion. And he made sure that no one was going to take it from him the year after he won it. So that's my point, is that, yeah, he had a grand old time, but you know what? He still didn't get down to business and got ready to defend his Stanley Cup, which, honestly, they were pro- next to Calgary, they were probably the team that I thought was going to uh, was going to get eliminated as a number one seed. I mean, you did call that the Capitals would lose that first round, which I give you kudos for on that. Did you know Thank I went you. one and eight in my picks Yikes. in the first round? Big Dave, non hockey guy. I would say that's that's <laughs> almost impressive, honestly. That, to, oh, to like you know not what? even you know to what? not There's even lo- follow it. Uh, I'm, I'm not saying I don't, but to just. Say you found somebody that doesn't even follow the sport. I guarantee 80% of them would still do better than me. I don't know, man. A lot of experts are, are in like the two out of eight, three out of eight category. So, I mean, don't be too hard on yourself. But um, but to go off what you were saying, I I don't – I see what you're getting with, with saying how maybe the elation of winning the Stanley Cup – have maybe put a burden on him in this year's playoffs. But I think that is such a huge um, uh, disconnect of performance in the playoffs to what he was doing on a Saturday in the offseason with the Stanley Cup. Uh, It's just too far of a stretch for me. They were still the best team in the division from last year. Tell me how many division titles the Capitals have had in the last three years or four years. Too too many division titles, not enough Stanley Cup titles. I'm just saying there's there's always there's these titles here, there, here, and there, and it always comes down to the playoffs. Uh, you could even say this year the Capitals won three more games in the playoffs this year than the Pittsburgh Penguins. So they did. Uh, all right, so Absolutely. I don't think I don't think him partying all year all the time has anything to do with his performance in the playoffs. But look at his goal total. Look at his goal to- totals. Okay, he wasn't even up for the Hart Trophy this year. He had fifty goals. I mean, to have fifty <laughs> goals and not be up for the Hart Trophy? Are you kidding me? Like, there's people that say Sidney Crosby shouldn't be shouldn't be up for the Hart Trophy, but you know what? He is. Um, why do you Dan- think he Conor is? Mc- because Sidney Crosby's five on five stats are absolutely incredible over anybody else on his team. And on top of that, um, the fact that how do I how do I want to word this? I don't want to throw the playoffs in, involved in, in a regular season award, but did we not see in the playoffs that if Sidney Crosby's not going, the Pittsburgh Penguins aren't going to go? A, a little bit of that, yeah. Because I, it, I think that was a, kind of the telling tale there there and for the for the Penguins in the Islander series was if he if Crosby's not going, or he's not at least setting a tone. They're they're not going to move on. But to get back to the Hurricanes, I I kind of want to end this on a on a positive note. Um, I saw you like turn that into the Ovechkin, so I wanted to clear that up for a little bit. Would you say that the Carolina Hurricanes, the the them and the Colorado Avalanche are the current hottest teams? in the playoffs right now hottest teams yes 
the most entertaining teams, I would say Colorado yes. is. Carolina, they the only reason I don't want to say that is because they are playing in the most boring series in the playoffs right now. And it's not their fault. Is it because of the, the matchups and the location and the history? A hundred Not even that. It's just the way the Islanders play. They play that bullshit trap that nobody wants to watch. They turn it into the 95 Devils. It's shocker, Lou Lamorello is running the ship over there. So it, it's really not their fault because, honestly, the game six and seven of the uh, – of the Washington series they played in was very entertaining. It was a hundred percent entertaining. And all of a sudden they're having to gut out two, one, three and um, one, nothing wins. So to say that they're not an entertaining brand right now is completely unfair because of the, of the team that they're playing against is trying to slow everything down and just clog everything up. Um, but Carolina absolutely is definitely one of the hottest teams going in the playoffs right now. Do you want to see them do a storm surge if they win game three and four? I want, I wanted them to do a storm surge on Verizon Center Ice or Capital One Arena Ice, whatever the hell they call that building in D.C. Coming from the guy earlier in this show that would just old man yell at this team for saying they haven't won anything what the hell are they doing celebrating on the ice like they are? Go out there and win like you have before. Well, here's the thing. There's two teams that you're allowed to do that against, the Philadelphia Flyers and the Washington Capitals. Okay. And the Washington Capitals, honestly, if we're really going to talk about it, a group of jerks, it's definitely the Washington Capitals. Yeah, I mean, if you want to pick up, yeah, it, for sure. If, 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 you, if you would ask people that, that follow the game from game – one of the preseason until game seven of the Stanley Cup finals, mostly in this area. But if you would get a pulse throughout the whole, whole uh, hockey universe, I would be willing to bet a lot of people don't like the way the Washington Capitals have uh, portrayed themselves uh, over the last hockey season. Well, I mean, even though they're eliminated from the playoffs, they're still the champions until the, the, uh, the Stanley Cup series this year. So, well, they have they it. Ha- they have it until whenever that series ends in June. So what do we do with it? Do with the cup now? Do we just like suspend it over every arena, like a like a championship ladder match in WWE? I mean, if you're cool with it, I am. That would be awesome. Can you imagine <laughs> Nathan McKinnon climbing a ladder to to unhook the Stanley Cup? How awesome that would be! And then. Um, all of a sudden, you have PK Subban just coming out of nowhere, just well, shaking the ladder. Well, he can't do that because he got eliminated. So, oh, um, I thought of the, I'll try to think of a defenseman on the fly. I was trying to think of someone in the same conference. Mira right, Hiskinen. How about Mira Hiskinen? He's up for the uh, Calder, or no, he's not up for the Calder. Trip. No, he he's not. Be. He should be, but he's not. <laughs> Anyways, but, uh, um, yeah. So moving on, another series that ended uh, since we were last on the air. Uh, the Boston Bruins be, defeated the Toronto Maple Leafs in seven. I had that series as well. Uh, game seven, tough, tough one for the Leafs. They lost uh, five to one. Um, just didn't get a save from Freddie Anderson. They needed to get a couple saves. They put the Leafs in front of them played very well. Um, just didn't get the save when they needed it. And uh, Boston ended up closing them out. Do you think that over the last, Four years, you know, since Mike Babcock has joined, 
that the Maple Leafs have been one of the biggest biggest disappointments in the NHL. Hmm. Boy, that's a tough one because they've really turned their, their themselves around as far as an organization. Yeah, like see, uh, they, they are they're making the playoffs. They've made some some great draft choices and got some contributors immediately. Austin Matthews uh, right away contributing to the team. Now they have John Tavares in there, and they're a team that's all that you could arguably says say like the Pittsburgh Penguins should and will make the playoffs each year until something happens to that roster. The one thing I will say about this, and I'm, I've been hearing that, that um, Mike Babcock's taking a lot of heat in Toronto for, for this past series. Um, and one of the reasons I'm hearing too is, I think I heard a stat that the fourth line of the Leafs had one less shift in Game 7 than Austin Matthews did. Austin Matthews only played like 1830-something in Game 7, which is absolutely unacceptable when you're in a do-or-die situation and your best player or your, we can call him a 1A or a 1B, depending on where you put John Tavares on that on that list for the Leafs. Um, I just think that this group needs a new voice i'm i'm wondering if they they've kind of tuned out mike babcock and which is a very easy thing to do from what i've heard is that he's very hard on players and he's a very stubborn coach that it's his way or the highway and if you're not willing to adapt with younger players because that's what you have to do nowadays it's not just a it's my way or the highway you have to adapt with these younger players that bring a creative mind to the game of hockey. And I don't know if he's willing to make that change. And I don't think these young kids for Toronto are going to necessarily change their way either. So I think it's going to be Toronto says, Mike, thanks for your help. It, we just have to go another direction. You're saying that maybe the players are uh, toning him out, Mike, with that being Mike Babcock in Toronto. And if we want to switch it over to the local scene where, you know, you had the back-to-back Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins and Mike Sullivan, who came out uh, from Wilkes-Barre, goes in there, wins the first cup, wins the second cup, comes up short in the second round, and then gets swept this year. And just the way they had to grind to make the playoffs. People have just been speculating that Mike Sullivan might be getting toned out by some of these players. I know one player that has never really been a, maybe like a big supporter or maybe they just don't get along. And that might be a real fact. It's just Phil Kessel and Mike Sullivan and their relationship and how that's never been healthy. And it's always been kind of garnered through the assistant coaches. Do you think it's similarities to what ha- what has happened the last – we can just say this year with the Penguins to what is going on in Toronto? I think in Toronto it's kind of like a – I think it's a little bit different because Mike Babcock does come with such a big name because obviously he's coached Canada to two gold medals, which let's face it, he opened and closed the door for Sidney Crosby for God's sakes. Let's not – pat him too hard on the back 
Um, he also won a Stanley Cup with the Detroit Red Wings. He took the Anaheim Mighty Ducks to a Stanley Cup final. Um, I mean, I I think with him, it's it's him kind of flexing his muscles on these young kids that are that are taking over the scene in Toronto. Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander. You have these young kids that, you know, the Toronto media has been hyping these kids up since they've become Maple Leafs and part of the Maple Leaf family. That it's almost like Mike Babcock saying, hold up, kids. You still got a lot to learn about this game before you become successful and you're going to do it my way. And I, I just think they need a younger, different style of coach in, um, in that locker room. And the one nice thing for the Leafs, though, is that um, their ownership, money doesn't matter for the Maple Leafs. They, they make money hand over fist. So they can just say, you know, Mike, we really appreciate it. We're going we're gonna to let you go. We're going to pay you off, and we're going to find somebody else in here um, to, to coach this team that's going to have a little bit of a different mindset. So to go back to the question, I need the yes or no answer. Do you think in the NHL, the whole NHL, that the Maple Leafs the last four years have been the biggest disappointment? No, but I think they have one more year to make a run and make a legitimate run in the playoffs before they they do start becoming a disappointment. I, I would say with the name that you get as a coach to not get a playoff series win, um, that um, should be enough reason to be the current disappointment. The Lightning rival that with only one year of being what is arguably the best regular season team of all time to being swept in the playoffs immediately. I would argue the Boston Bruins might be a disappointment. Uh, perhaps. I know like the back and forth, um, back and forth years since 2011, they came up. Short in uh, what twenty thirteen in the twenty thirteen when the strike uh, season yeah when I believe Brian Bickle I might be wrong on that Brian Bickle scored scored a goal late in uh, game six on Boston ice to to seal a victory for Chicago um, but yeah they've made they've made a couple runs and they've kind of fizzled out. Uh, before we move on to the next topic, uh, what I wanted to say about that game six. Uh, it was insane because I was in Slippery Rock orientation. I was an orientation ambassador, and we had the game on uh, late for like all the people just watching in the dorm. And we had just come back from like doing something at the Arc, the uh, the rec center. If people don't really know Slippery Rock that well, um, and I wanted to go take a shower. The the Boston Bruins had the lead, and I came down. There's 30 seconds left, or something, and the Blackhawks had the lead. Like, wait a minute, what just happened? Right, yeah, one of those crazy situations. So, unfortunately, I, I missed that. Well, we got we had something similar happen. I'm going to segue this one um, that happened between the San Jose Sharks and the Vegas Golden Knights in Game Seven, and I wrote in my little pre-show notes, "Wow." Just wow. Did you catch any of that game? Uh, unfortunately, no, but I, I've seen this through Twitter. Guy, Dave. Seeing this through Twitter was just unbelievable. Oh, just seeing how everything was just blowing up in this, uh, this Vegas' was, face. This was, I, I couldn't have watched this with a better group of buds. It was like all my hockey buds. We had a, uh, we had a, um, a beer league game that was, I think we started at like 820. So, like, we wrapped up around 9.30, got, 
got showered, and then we headed like straight for the bar after. So we watched the whole game at the bar together, and it like it was three nothing Vegas, and we're just kind of like you know, keeping it on as like background noise, and we're kind of watching just BSing. And then Pavelski goes down. And my buddy to my left, he just goes, why is Pavelski down? Why is he motionless? What's going on here? Something something bad happened. And that's when they call the five-minute. And, and we all look at each other. We go, turning point of the game. This is a turning point of the game right here. If San Jose gets any type of multiple goals, they, they win this hockey game. And then Couture scores with, I, I think it was like, 20 seconds into the five on five minute and then they score again and then they scored the third and we're like holy crap here they come and they score the fourth and eventually Vegas does get get the kill done and they're they're down four three and we're and then Vegas gets a power play with I think like 330 left I, I think and uh the one guy that I that I currently coach youth hockey with we have a constant battle on how how early is too early to pull a goaltender? And they had the power. They had the power play with remember three thirty left. So if even if the power play gets killed, it's down to one thirty left in the in the game. And I go, you got to pull them now. If not, a minute into the power play, and they don't pull them. And then Ve- Vegas eventually pulls them with like, I believe there's like one fifteen down to near a minute. They tie it. They tie it late. And you're, we're thinking, okay, Vegas is back in it. You know, they might pull this one out. And then uh, for for San Jose to pull it out in overtime, it was one of the wildest, craziest hockey games I I think I've ever watched in person. Honestly, I thought it was insane that didn't Gerard. Uh, Gerard Gallant not use any timeouts during that five minute. No, he did not. He did not use his timeout. He and some have criticized him for that. And like you mentioned right there, not pulling the goalie during that um, during that power play. I mean, they, granted they did tie it up, but I would agree with you. Like at three thirty with a power play in a game seven down, you one, get a six on four two man advantage. Um, I, I'm just very aggressive when it comes to pulling my goalie. If I, if I can pull my goalie with two and a half left and I have full possession in the offensive zone, I'm doing it. Oh yeah, for I want, sure. I, I just don't like, I just don't like the whole, everything's got to be hectic within like the last minute of a game. I want my team to have the possession, be settled, getting right, trying to make plays. And we still have time if, if the plays that we are creating don't work right away. Like, I don't want it to be one rush, and then, you know, now we have to scramble to get possession, get reset back up. The one thing that does disappoint me about this series is that Marc-Andre there, Fleury... There is, not, there is not 14 other games to play. Well, not that. <laughs> that not that. It was that, uh, that Marc-Andre Fleury had to suffer yet another 3-1 uh, series collapse. Yeah, I mean... He plays for another team now, so I'm not as sympathetic as of, <laughs> of Mark Andre Fleury as a lot of other people in Pittsburgh are. But um, I mean, I had Vegas in that series going seven, and that that might go down as one of the best series we've seen in a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, you could say that was a, that was better than the Hurricanes, that was better than the Bruins and Leaves. Um, I mean, just 
hand over foot, it was um, the Capitals, Hurricanes, Sharks, and Knights were the best series and best closeout games that we've seen. And it was the first round. Yeah, that's like I said. I I wish those t- two teams would um would go at it for another seven game series because it was just so entertaining to watch. It was up and down. Um, you still had the physical play going on, and you're still seeing skilled plays. It wasn't dry trap trap hockey or anything like that. It would it was almost like you were watching. I I, I don't want to say you know, road hockey, but like it was up and down plays were being made. Hits were being, were being made and just guys landed out all out, all out. Um, I don't think we're, we're going to see another series like that for, for at least another year. So we have our, the first time ever that both wildcard teams, or you could say, not all the number one seeds make the second round in, in, in either conference. Tampa, Washington, uh, Nashville, and Calgary all out after the first round. So obviously our Stanley Cup picks aren't in there aren't in there anymore. So if we had to do a little redemption here, who do you like now to be in the finals? I like Colorado. After their their game last night, coming back and um, being the San Jose Sharks in game two, um, winning four three, um, Nathan McKinnon and Rantanen are absolutely going to carry this team to the Stanley Cup Finals. Um, that's the team I like out west, out east. How do you not pick Boston, right? I mean, I, I I know what you're saying. Like they're, they're ha- hands down the best overall team in the conference. Yeah, I, I I just feel like they're they're honestly the best team, and I like Columbus too. Despite despite them being some kind of a rival for the Penguins, I like Columbus. I like the way they play, especially against Boston, because um, Boston just they they're known for that that heavy game, but they still play with speed and Columbus brings it right back to them. Um, I just don't see how Carolina, Carolina would beat Boston if, if Boston would move on. But um, I think Boston's the one that would go to the East. Just give me a Carolina Colorado series and I will be watching every single game and making sure that I'm just sitting back and I'm cheering for every single goal that has scored in that series. Can we put a stamp on on this show right now that we are backing the Colorado Avalanche for the Stanley Cup? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing how this team barely made the playoffs and now we're, we're rooting for them and thinking that they had the best shot of representing the West and going <laughs> to the Stanley Cup Finals. Right, it's it's crazy because I remember watching the night that um that they clinched. They had they had to I think get at least a point. They had to either get at least get a point or or win, and they ended up winning in overtime. And um, just seeing like the fans just erupt, and you see the celebration of the players because I think they ended up um they ended no they they got in on a on a on a 
game that went into overtime. And the way they stayed into overtime was that um, I think it was Ian Cole went out and blocked a shot at the point. And that's what like kept them from getting like an extra chance to um, to beat Colorado in regulation. And like the crowd erupted in celebration along with the players over like a blocked shot. And it's it was like the most is the most hockey guy thing you would ever see is like people going going berserk over a block shot <laughs> and and to see like that's how they got in and then this run that they're going on taking out uh the top seeded calgary flames and um t- being tied 1-1 with the san jose sharks um i 100 percent think we need to put a stamp on our our little profile pictures of a colorado avalanche logo naming them the uh the team we are rooting for here at icy takes and maybe it'll be a kiss of death from us. We're not sure. Yeah, we'll see. So, all right. We're getting to that point of the show where we like to wrap it up and give out our MVPs of the week. Jeff, do you remember who went first last time? I think I went first. All right. Um, if I can, I can go first this time if you want me to. Yeah, go for it. So I'm going to give it um, and to my usual in baseball. I'm going to give it to the man out in L.A., also referred to as The Machine. Albert Pujols just passed Barry Bonds for third all-time on the RBI list um, on a two-run double where he got, I believe, RBIs 1996 and 1997 to pass Barry Bonds and is on pace to become the third player to hit 2,000-plus RBIs behind both Alex Rodriguez and Hank Aaron. Not bad. Not bad. So kudos to the man, the machine, Albert Pujols. I'm going to go with a gentleman that does he not just have the utmost confidence in the most pressure-packed situations? Mr. Game 7. Justin Williams. Everybody was wondering in Game 7 against the Capitals, when's he going to bust out? He's going to bust out here soon. He's going to put an impact on this game. And it wasn't a multi-point game. He didn't score a hat trick. He didn't do anything that blew your mind away except for one little play. Cuts a puck off off the half wall and sends the puck to the net. It deflected off a teammate's stick and it went into the net. And Mr. Game 7 showed up again, and he eliminated the bigger bunch of jerks, the Washington Capitals and that drunk Russian Alexander Ovechkin. And Justin Williams, you're my MVP because you eliminated the one team that I had had enough of. I had enough of their celebrating. I had enough of their, you know, we're the defending cup champs. And, you know, we finally got ours up yours, Pittsburgh. Well, Justin Williams had a little final say in it. Mr. Game 7, congratulations. The legend continues. Justin Williams is my MVP. I'm starting to have a feeling that you don't like Alexander Ovechkin. I just, I've had enough of them. Like, they won their cup good, congratulations. And I I, I just had enough of them. it, it, It was time for me to move on. You can't have your cake and eat it too. What does that mean? Well, uh, you're saying, you know, you won, and that's them going out there and celebrating. So, and that having the cake and eating it too. Oh, winning like the it, cup was, and... it was 
execute like the first like three or four weeks. Like I get it, you won and everything. You went swimming in a fountain and everything. But like when I'm hearing about it in October when the new season has started, that's where I start getting like, okay, let's keep it moving here. Let's let's move forward. All right. So hey, this has been Icy Takes. You can uh, like us on Facebook, Icy Takes with Jeff and Big Dave. And follow us on Twitter at Icy Takes, I-C-E-Y, Takes, all together. Follow us on our personal Twitters at Big underscore Dave 52. And at Christ underscore 51. Right. Remember, you can download these episodes on uh, Apple Podcasts if you're listening to Anchor.fm right now. You can go on Apple po- Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, uh, Spotify. Uh, there are other platforms out there that you can uh, get our episodes through. Uh, if you like it, uh, share the episode, pass it along to your friends, and you know, show other people who are into sports what it's like. And then maybe they'll have an opinion for us, and maybe they'll, they'll yell at us, and then we can have a debate with someone else. What do you think, Jeff? Yeah, absolutely. And by the way, how has nobody called us out yet that the numbers in our Twitter handles are 51 and 52 back-to-back? I don't know. I, I don't know like, why anyone's done I that. I mean, we've been doing this thing for a while now, like... Not even just the podcast, just working together. We've had the same Twitter handles. Nobody's called us out on that. I mean, I think I think they know if they'll call us out, they're in for a world of hurt. Absolutely. Yeah. Like so. a steel chair over the head. <laughs> Trying to, and then we get back on the ladder to get the Stanley Cup. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. So, all right, guys, we'll be back next week. So, stay icy out there. <laughs>